2021 didn't feel like a great year, did it? It was a year of uncertainty and of fear. It felt like so much of what we took for granted was, was taken from us that our freedom and our plans just, just disappeared. It has left many of us directionless, wondering what the future holds. Isaiah 40 is written into a similar context, but, but just so much worse. There's this real sense of, of helplessness to the, the previous chapters where we see this, this downward spiral of events as their ability to govern their own lives, their, their prosperity, all their future plans are just stripped away from them. And understandably, the feeling that is going to crop up for the Israelites is a mixture of confusion and, and sadness and, and fear and hopelessness. But Isaiah 40 starts with the phrase, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So whilst they see everything as a, as a swirling void out of their control, God says to them, comfort. And what is the comfort that God offers them? Look with me there at verse 3. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The comfort here is that the Lord is coming. Verse 9 takes up this theme where we see a message given to the people of God. If you're not reading in our version, some versions say, here is your God. But, but the sense isn't like, here is something they are being given. But more like, here, showing, like, like showing them something. So more like, behold your God. It's a key thing that keeps coming up here. Behold your God. And not just in an abstract kind of way but by revealing what kind of God that he is. <coughs> Verses 10 and 11 contrast two images that give us insight into the rest of the passage, the extreme might and the extreme compassion of God. In verse 10 we read, he rules with a mighty arm. Now, arm is, is, is a symbol of, of power, and so through his power, he is sovereign over all. Later in the verse, his reward being with him is, is really like the spoils of war, signs of victory. So we are to see him as a triumphant king coming back to the city. Then in verse 11, he is portrayed as a shepherd, this time gathering the lambs under his arms and gently leading those that are with young. This is an image of care and compassion protecting the lambs and gently leading the most vulnerable of the flock. So if you underline or if you take notes, make sure you see the two uses of his arms here. They are, as one commentator says, raised in victory and then lowered in compassion. So here is comfort that God who rules over all and is compassionate to his people, this God is coming to us. The wind and the waves might be crashing all around us, but look to the Lord. Notice that this is not five ways to calm the storm or, or four ways to prevent it from happening. It's simply, behold your God. It's a call to look to God. It's in the presence of God with us that we can find comfort. Our natural reaction to, to trouble is to look to ourselves for comfort for our own ingenuity to get us out of whatever situation that is. 
The normal human response is to think that, that we are wise enough and that we are strong enough to set our own direction, and so we are worth listening to. And to that assumption, God says this in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breaths of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Well, we think we are worth listening to, but, but God's questioning us here to, to show us that, that our understanding is hopelessly insufficient. This passage is specifically placing us beside God and asking us, where should we look for direction? Who is worthy to trust in, ourselves or God? I'd really encourage you this week to just take five minutes, go to a quiet room at some point this week and reread these verses aloud to yourself. Ask these questions of yourself with the force that they are intended to be read with. Because what we will see is that God compares us to himself because he is just nothing like us. He is not just a better version of us. He is not a being like us, but with all our good attributes taken to the limit. He is utterly unlike us. Now, yes, we are made in his image, but, but we are a completely different kind of thing to him. It's like how a picture of you is made in, in your image. But it's not 3D. It, it can't breathe or move or really do anything. In fact, it's a completely different type of thing to you. Verse 15 shows us that the nations in all their glory are like the dust on a set of scales in comparison to God. Inconsequential, without substance, not, not weighty, not glorious at all. If you're going to weigh the glory of God, all the greatness of everything that mankind has ever done, it's just going to be like those dust particles that don't even register. Verse 16 shows us that that even Lebanon, and that, that Lebanon is renowned in the Bible for its trees and its wood. It isn't big enough to construct enough fires to give the sacrifices that God deserves. You could give all that you have, all that this world has, and still it wouldn't meet the levels of praise that the Lord deserves because of who he is. So God is utterly above us in terms of power and in terms of holiness. It's his arms that are raised in victory, not ours. And because of that, it's his arms that we should look to when they are lowered in compassion to us. This year will bring storms. For many of us, this year will be our last year before the Lord calls us home. But when we are confronted with that fear and that pain, our job is not to try and fix things. It's to behold our God, to accept his will and to praise him in the storm. The first thing that we need to hold on to here is that whatever comes our way, we need to resist the urge to think that we can fix it ourselves or that somehow God is not in control. Rather than trust in ourselves, we need to look around and behold our God. The other tendency that we have is to put something else in God's place, trusting in that thing rather than God. 
Maybe that's the, the government or a certain philosophy or your life plan. The Bible calls all these things idols. Verse 18 picks up on this second theme. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Although we might not use the same materials for our idols as they did in Isaiah's time, we still place our trust in things other than God with the hope that they can change our situations. Rather than trusting in God, we sell ourselves to anything that we think can get us to where we think that we should be. So when the storms come, we think that we can get through them or, or we can turn them around through our commitment to that plan. That the lifestyle that we have chosen will allow us to ride the waves. That our healthy eating will enable us to change everything. That our positive thinking will mean that we don't suffer like we used to. That our new commitments and projects will give the significance that we need to get through the gales. Maybe that the government will solve everything. Well, maybe not that last one. So although God has given us ways to live, we think that we know better. And so we create idols, finding them and this image of what they're going to give us more worthy than God. I wonder if anything jumps to mind for you. If you've been subconsciously trying and hoping that this new thing will make all the difference. <coughs> God's response to that is to say in verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He's saying, what are you doing? Are you seriously comparing this man-made idea to the one who sits enthroned above all the earth? who brings princes to naught and reduces rulers to nothing? To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? The Lord asks us this morning. It might look like those things have power, but do you seriously think that they compare to God's power? Do you think that if God wills something that, that human means are going to stop it? Ask our brothers and sisters in China how that went for the Communist Party there. Do you really think that the things of this world care about you? That running into their arms is running towards compassion? Your bank account doesn't care for you. It might be a good thing to have, but it is a terrible God. When the storms come, the creations of man just topple over. Their arms cannot be raised in victory because they aren't real. The security that they give us is fake. So whether it's ourselves or some external thing, we shouldn't trust those things that have no power. Instead, God makes it clear here that he alone holds enough power to be worthy for us to trust him. Now, up until verse 27, if you look and read there, God compares himself to all these idols. And the sense that we get is of a victorious king. These are the questions of one who is utterly victorious. He's mocking the idols. Beholding our God here is like seeing power and might sufficient for any battle. In this section, he has shown us that he is more powerful than us, more powerful than any idol. 
He is the only one in whom we can place any hope. But now in verse 27, the tone changes and we get that second image coming through, the one of the shepherd whose arms are lowered in compassion. Why do you complain? Or literally, why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel, that your way is hidden from the Lord? It's easy to just run over this verse, but but if we go slowly, we can hear the compassion that God has for his people. He's moved from towering over his, the idols as a victor. Now he's bending down to his people, asking them, why are you saying these things? Why are you saying that I don't care about you, that I've forgotten about you? Here's God gently reminding them of what they know, of what they have heard from God himself that he is the Lord of all, more powerful than the storms around him. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't grow weary as we do. And he doesn't make mistakes. He says that no one can fathom his understanding. He's telling them that he knows more than they do, that he understands their situation better than they do. So even though they're looking around and saying to themselves, no, this, this isn't right. God has left us. God comes close and gently reminds them that he is in control and that even if they don't know why it is happening like this, he does. Their complaints are that God doesn't give enough weight to their rights and and their ways of life and concerns. They want different circumstances and if God doesn't give it to them, they're thinking, how can he truly love us? But God calls them back to look to him, to see who he is and how he works. They are feeling overwhelmed that they need to change strategy to do something different. They want to go their own way and seek independence from God again. But God says to them in verse 30, that even the strong among them on their own will fall. But those who wait on the Lord will soar. You might read hope there in verse 31. The sense that the translators are trying to get across here is the idea about dependence upon God. So either if it's it's waiting or or hoping, the idea is that the trusting in the Lord brings glory as they rise up rather than pain as they fall trusting upon themselves. Dependence upon God brings eternal glory. So being in right relationship with him, taking comfort in him, is what brings assurance even as the wind and the blows and the rain falls around us. God is trying to get them to see that trusting in him is the best thing for them. That even if they look around and see pain and suffering, they need to trust in him and not themselves or what anyone else tells them. The overwhelming sense of this passage is that they need to look to God, that we need to look to God that we need to behold our God. Extreme in power, extreme in compassion, knowing what's good even when we don't, calling us to trust in him when things look difficult. Now, when I was preparing this, I, I couldn't get the story of Jesus calming the storm out of my head. When the disciples wake Jesus and he questions their faith, they're looking around thinking, this storm is going to kill us. But really, we know they they were never in any danger. Jesus was with them. It looked terrible out there to them, certainly, but 
but they shouldn't have been looking out there. For us, as we face a new year that's coming, another year filled with uncertainty, we might have more storms to face, more fear and more confusion just lashing at us. And it will be so easy for us to look around and think that things aren't right, that God can't be in control, that we need to do something about this. And we need to be ready as a church family to call one another to behold our God, to look to Christ and not what's happening outside of the boat. Not to let the world determine how we see things, but to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Isn't that what this verse is saying? Don't look to yourselves. Don't look to the world around you. It isn't worthy of your trust. Look to God. Don't let your fears color your view. Don't let the world convince you of what to see. Look to God and trust in what he says. He is the God with arms raised in victory and lowered in compassion, powerful and merciful, transcendent and imminent. Trust in him. Look to him. Behold him. Behold his arms stretched out on a cross for you. And yet, even if we can see that this is what the verse is telling us, so often it's just really hard to do that. What does it, what does it mean? What does it look like for us to look to Christ? What does it mean for us as a people to behold our God? How do we do that when the storm is just battering us and holding our attention? Well, firstly, we have to understand that that we can only do anything through the help of the Spirit, that we can do nothing alone to look to God. But if you're a Christian, then the Spirit is inside you and will empower you to die to the old man and to live to the new. If you aren't a Christian, but you're feeling convicted that you need to trust in God, then you need to repent of your sin and plead with God to help you. But know as well that that those stirrings inside you telling you that you need this, that's God already taking action, already beginning to renew you so that you can look to him. Praise God for that. After we are saved and adopted into God's family, the Spirit works in us to build us up into Christ's image and to help us look more and more to him. And over time, to enable us to make him king in more and more areas in our lives. And we have been given, as a body of people, three main means, main means of grace that God works through to do that. And they are the word, the sacraments, and prayer. So simple that, that many of you have already switched off from what I'm about to say, but so powerful enough that it could change your life. The word, hearing God speak through the Bible as it is, as it is read and as it is preached, holding it in your hands, reading it for yourself. This word is power unto salvation, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you believe that? Well, let me ask you then, how often do you expose yourself to that power? How often do you read your Bible or attend worship to hear the preaching of the word? Does it get to Sunday evening and rather than the, than the evening service? You're going to seek comfort in something to drink and rubbish TV. If you feel lost 
and without direction. The word is a lamp to our feet. If you feel low, the word is sweeter than honey. If you feel purposelessness, the word is more precious than silver and gold. If you are a member here and you don't have a Bible, please come up to me. Not just now, but if you don't own a Bible, please come up to me or come up to an elder at the end and we're going to organize a time to go and get one for you. If your your Bible's at home and it's covered in dust, ask me at the end and, and we can have a chat and I can point to some reading plans to help. And if reading isn't your thing, then there's some great audio Bibles too. But if you want to grow in holiness, scrolling through Instagram won't help you. You need to be in the Word. The next way that God has given us is through the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, if you haven't been baptized, but you confess Jesus as Lord, then you need to have a conversation with Christoph. And although you'll only be baptized once, every time that we present someone for baptism, we are participating as a whole in that baptism. I honestly, I can't wait to bring Jonah up here for baptism. But when we do, none of you will be spectators. You will see the word signed and you should be reminded of the gospel in your life. Similarly, communion for us is a sign of the gospel as we feel and taste the word preached. And with all that we do in communion, moving from repentance to worship, we do it together. God has given us sacraments that require us to be together. He uses the church as a body to grow our individual spiritual lives. So I completely understand if if you're at home, rather than being here for some health reason, grace and peace to you. We will rejoice together when you're back. That's completely fine. But if you're at home watching this at a different, because you like watching it at a different time or like having coffee during the church, then you need to hear that you're putting your spiritual growth at risk. We grow together through the sacraments and you can't take them alone. The final way to look to Christ is through a practice of prayer. Do you lack faith? Ask God to give you more. Do you lack hope? Ask God to fill you with it. In prayer, we look to Christ and ask him to intercede on our behalf. In prayer, we we find the desires of our hearts transformed into his desires. So how often do you pray? Do you pray with your family? Do you pray with your friends? If you are feeling far from God, start praying and pray consistently. Pray when you brush your teeth if you can't get any other time. But start making prayer a staple part of your life. Now, none of this is legalism. None of this is working your way to salvation. It's just the realization that God has given us ways to live and knowing that those ways are the best things for us. Neither is it about changing your situation like some magic spell that was gonna bring you prosperity. But it's, being about, it's about being changed in ourselves. This is how God has determined to sanctify us. This is how we go about looking to God in our own lives. <clears throat> Isaiah 40 starts by saying, comfort, comfort. It is God telling us to look to him during the storms and uncertainties of life. It is God showing us that he is more powerful, more holy, more worthy than anything else that we can see. 
that his arms are raised in victory, but also lowered to us in compassion, that he desires for us to look to him, to take comfort in him, to know his glory even in the midst of the darkest parts of our lives. It's God showing us that he is sovereign, that he knows best, and he is working in us to bring us to glory, and he will not leave us or forsake us. It's God saying, behold your God. When you don't understand, behold your God. When you are afraid, behold your God. When the whole world tells you to give in, behold your God. If you know that you need to look to God, I'm, I'm going to ask you in a second to, to stand and, and sing as, as, as the singers come back up to us. And we're going to use the words, awake, awake, O Zion, to point one another to Christ. So that together as, as a family we can remind each other that our God reigns amidst the storm and that our trust is in Christ alone. So if you know that you need him, if you know you need to look to him, if you want to behold our God, I invite you now to come and stand with us as we respond to God's word. Let's stand, let's sing. Awake, awake, O Zion. <laughs>